Hello. We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Lily. We have a power podcast where we know the future. But you knew that, because this is part two. So let's get right in. We have a very special guest joining us, so let me welcome to the podcast, Julia. Hello. We're very excited to have Julia here. So even though we're in the middle of a discussion, let's uh, first break for a minute to do what we always do with the guests. So Julia, why don't you give us your first impressions of Avatar as a whole and what your experience with the show is? So uh, I'm only 17, so... I've been watching Avatar pretty much for as long as I can remember, so I've always been pretty in love with the show and the characters, and it's kind of been part of my childhood, and as I've grown up, it's always been there, so it's very special to me. Great. Well, we're very excited to have you here. Um, We just finished a discussion of part one of the finale. Uh, You're jumping in here, but if there's anything specifically to part one that you want to sort of say before we get into our part two discussion I can let you do that now no I think think we're good okay um we're gonna break with what we usually do and we're not gonna have an initial uh thoughts on this episode because it's uh such a quick continuation of the last one and then we're gonna have our full discussion of the finale as a whole at the end so I just want to get right into the action um which is fitting because they get right into the action in this episode um the last episode ends and there's really no time jump. It's just right in. Um, and we start off with this gigantic storm. And we talked a little bit about um, last night the uh, ramifications of Zuko's sort of just complete lack of plan. And eventually they're going to poke, not poke fun at this, but point out that Zuko is this character who does not plan things out. But just like, what is he thinking here? Like, this just He's seems not. like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was just like it was just a gambit. It was just like something where he's like, "I need to get him away from Admiral Zhao as quickly as possible, and I'll just wing it from that point." And it's not I'm not bashing him for it. It wasn't just like him being stupid. I think it's just a matter of I need to get this, him away from the Fire Nation as quickly as possible so I can just have a clear run to my father and I'll figure it out as they go. No, I, I think he was just being straight stupid. Why did he go yeah. back the way he came? So he could have had some kind of disguise of some kind, easily. He could easily um, get one from somewhere. I, I think his, I think his argument about why he didn't come back the way he came is then, then he's parked right in the middle of a giant army that's engaging, and he wasn't like he could put Ang on a ship and sail him away. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it's true. I think he's being stupid because he just does not have a plan. But I'm, I don't know if he could. Literally, is going straight into a blizzard. No it, it was not his brightest moment, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't have that many of those. <laughs> Listen, definitely hey, not hey. the first. Book. He has to fight for everything. That's what made him him. <laughs> he's, he's a firebender. He's always bright. Oh. 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 Right, like a flame. I spent out of his hand. I spent all of last night shitting on Aang. Can I shit on Zuko <laughs> a little bit here? Can I, can I be egalitarian <laughs> with who I yell? You already decided you can only shit on Aang the entire oh, time. Okay, that's just my thing. I'm the guy who hates Aang. Yep. Um, speaking of Aang, I, I when it, once Aang gets into the spirit world, just right off the bat, this is our first you know, real moment in what we think of the spirit world. 
in uh, the episode titled The Spirit World. But for the most part, that was Aang kind of in spirit form in the physical world. This is the first time being like in the spirit mm-hmm. world. Really exploring and, it, I feel like. Like and really I, going into it. Yeah. And I love it. I, I really, really love the everything they did with the spirit world. It It has this great look and feel to it that mm-hmm. right off the bat, it feels different. It has its own sort of texture and everything. The, the way the spirits act is really great. And right off the bat, I love we get, the pompous yeah. monkey. Yeah. <laughs> the pompous monkey is one of my favorite characters after Cabbage Man. The, the, the way they have these spirits as these kind of quirky, they, they're all into their own things with meditation and stuff. And they're, they're not really interested in helping humans. I, I love that. And they, they keep that going throughout the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. And just for, for how little time we actually spend in the spirit world, it actually is almost shocking to me that we spend such little time here because it, I remember it so well. And it's mostly just from this episode that I remember the spirit world. Yeah. I mean, they on that in horror, right? That you can't spend time there because gateways are shut and all that. No, that's it's not that they can't spend time there. It's that you can't enter um, through the portals. But then in what context would you be there? You can meditate in, but if you meditate in, you can't bend. If you go through the portals, you can bend. No, no, I, Mark, I get that. I'm saying, okay. like, they shoehorned in a reason that you wouldn't go there. On a, like, at the end of core, they would literally go and take a vacation there. Like, you, you could have actually... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, I, yeah, I understand. I understand what you mean. You're right. Like, you know, they could have done a lot more scenes there, whereas here it's like, well... You have to do this very specific thing, and only certain people can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But I, I, my point just being that I, I think they just do a great job of characterizing the spirit world and giving it this amazing flavor um, that it becomes iconic. Yeah. It's cool. Um, super mythological. Mm-hmm. Um. We transition back and and we get the beginning of Zuko kind of laying out how unlucky and and, and terrible his predicament and essentially just his life has been. And, you know, I I kind of self-aware to the point that he kind of is seeing how, um, uh, like, how problematic these things. But I also think on the other hand, he's not self-aware that in many ways it's his own. Like going up into a blizzard with no real plan. Yes. Or, you know. <laughs> Carrying an unconscious the, boy. The num- But even more than that, I, I'm almost on a more like big picture level that Zuko's mm-hmm. the, the made has led him to this position. And you, 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 I mean, because you get the feeling when talking to Iroh that he probably could have kind of just not, you know, kind of let this whole Avatar thing go and accepted that he's kind of similar to being in, in Iroh's position of like, yeah, he's lost his ability to take the throne, but he can live a very comfortable life and be happy. And instead Zuko doesn't, he obsesses, he wants his honor back and that um, forces him to, or that, that has put him in this position where he gets, you know, so desperate. He does something incredibly stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why it's funny. That's what, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to jump to the end of the episode, but I put like Zhao said to him, like, you could have just accepted your disgrace and just lived. And that's like pretty much sums up Zuko in the entire package. Like you could have like, Nope. But that's like the thing. He's so like, 
he is so emotional, and I'm not using that as a negative towards him. I'm saying it, that's generally Zuko's shtick is that he is very hot tempered. Hot tempered. Uh, uh, the puns are still like it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and as you said, every decision has brought him to this point. And again, I think you guys are ripping on him too much for the sake that. Yeah, sure, he wandered off into a blizzard with the unconscious avatar, but that's a very Zuko thing to do. Like, that's something I could see Zuko doing, and like, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. He's not, he's like the opposite of Sokka, almost. Well, he is, and they make that explicit. That yeah, Sokka's they're... the one who planned, and, 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 you know, Zuko is the one who wins it. Someone was about to say something. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're pretty explicitly shown as foils, especially going into book three, but uh, when they're working together, but that's kind of later on. Yeah, uh, the boiling rock specifically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that it's not. I'm not even to me. It, it's less of like me being hard on Zuko as an outside observer, and more of the show is being very hard on Zuko. Like they're because they they make it very clear in Lake Lao Guy that when Iroh is you know saying to him like you just don't have a plan. I I, I don't. I don't think it's, it's, this is not me saying like, oh, this is a negative of, this is just, this is a, a part of Zuko's character. He is this kind of person who does very, you know, uh, stupid things. I mean, I, it's, it's really, I, say, I, I think I think impulsive is a good word. Like he's very impulsive. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good way to put it. And I think that part of it is, is for, for Zuko, his character arc is about learning to Some become. Some kind of self-control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I don't even think he's completely solved by the end. And you know, we'll, we, 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 you know, you see the, you see some of the issues with that in the promise. Um. So obviously, we have a little bit of a transition back and forth between um, Azula and, or not Azula between uh, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, between uh, Zuko and. Uh, and where Aang is in the spirit world, because of, that's where his body. Um, I I talked at length last night about the how the the setup of the quest uh, was so powerful and so good. And this is just another kick in that when he starts talking to Roku and, and sort of says, "Okay, you have to go after Ko." So I really, I just another moment for me to touch on how much I love that. Um, another thing is, can we just talk for a minute about how like unbelievably creepy the idea of stealing someone's faces yes it's mad scary it's like it's, it's so so scary that's also it's like, yeah it's it's not like a new concept in tv but i feel like for this to be a kid show and visually legit showing a monkey turn around with no face it, as a child i remember i was like oh my god that's like the scariest house yeah. Ultimate nightmare fodder, definitely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um so we get the monologue from Zuko where he says the line that I think Corey referenced earlier. Um and there's a couple of key points. One, you get a nice little setup of Zazula when when you know Zuko says Tang, like you're like my sister, um, mm-hmm. who obviously we're gonna meet later on in this episode. Um, but how do you guys feel about Zuko kind of just like letting out his feelings on an unconscious hand. I loved that I scene. That. 
Like, that was what made me love Zuko, because that's where you just finally get to really understand what makes him tick, and just how he views the world, and how he feels like he's been mistreated, and it really gives you kind of a window into what's going on with Zuko. I think it also even, like, shows, like, a deeper meaning in his animosity towards Aang. Yeah, exactly. At first, you're just like, oh, he just wants to catch him because he's the Avatar, regains honor, and that's definitely, like, the key part of it. Mm -hmm. But then there's also that resentment and that feeling that he's always had his whole life that now he's now putting on another figure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, a really good way of showing how the development of this feeling has kind of come about because it started off as just like catch the avatar and now it's like become more personal to him yeah yeah i would agree i i I really love this monologue um you you get to see a lot of the pain in zuko and uh, a lot of his character and i also think there's just something kind of interesting emotionally for he's Similar to uh, going back to Blue Spirit when Aang is sitting next to an unconscious Zuko and kind of letting out his feelings in this moment where he's seeing how much the world is coming apart and, and what it's what it's done to him. And now you kind of have the reverse where Aang is the one unconscious and Zuko is, is now, instead of talking about the world, he's talking about himself. But because Aang is the avatar, there's, there's, there's that. that mm-hmm. That's how they view themselves. And it's, in, it's just sort of interesting that both of them almost find the other one as someone to talk to when they're unconscious, like, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is interesting because it, it does kind of mirror what their eventual friendship will be, that they become these, you know, confidants for each other and, and people who, you know, are going to work together and et cetera. Mm-hmm. They're more similar than it first appears. Mm. Um, so... The we get to Zhao and Iroh and Zhao admitting his incredibly ridiculous plan about uh, taking out the, the spirits. And first, uh, something that I it took a lot of catch just the, that you know in half a season is going to become a pretty important uh, point. Uh, which I, which I, it's one of those things. I just think that there's a lot of good world building in this show. They never miss a moment to reference something that might be coming later. Um, it's not necessary, but it's just good. I think it's just good writing. Mm-hmm. Now, now I have a quick question for Corey because yeah. you love Zhao. He's your your fave man. Like, well, Iroh is my favorite. So, how do you feel about this plan of his to destroy the Moon Spirit? It's I, I have, that's such a, a can of worms question you just asked, and I could go on for a long time, but I'll stop because I want to put it in the sections about that. Okay. I, I already have, I'll, I'll talk to you about my base issues with the moon physically actually being a spirit and not a celestial body that orbits the earth, but okay. that, that's future. Uh, of course, I, that's such a, for a villain antagonist idea, and it's such a grand idea. Mostly villains are like, and especially in TV shows, and someone in Zhao's... I, I imagine Admiral Zhao as, like, Starscream, if you guys know mm-hmm. Transformers at all, where he's just, like, has such an ego and is obnoxious and always gets foiled and has, like, very mustache twirly ideas. This is such a grand, like, evil, short-sighted idea. It's perfect for someone like him. And I, I think it's just a genius genius concept that he would be willing to literally destroy the moon and take not only forget about 
destroying the water nation as a whole. It would destroy water bending. It would like forget about the air nation the balance being, of everything. Exactly. And ex- he's willing to do that so he. Yeah. Tell me, listen, like, of course, he wins, and everyone here probably hates him, but that means he's doing his job perfectly. That's why I love Zhao so much. He's such a good villain. And I th- I would even argue, in some ways, he's better than the Fire Lord, because, like, the Fire Lord is just what you'd mm-hmm. expect the Fire Lord to be. But Zhao is someone that's like... I don't think you need the qualifier of I'd argue. I, I actually don't think it's particularly close. I think Zhao is much better than Pilot. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, as, Cor- as, as you said, like I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, because mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about it when we get into the end. Uh, so let's let's just... Is that, if it's all right, Corey, let's just put a pin in that till we get to the... Sorry, uh, that was, yeah. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we talked about it a little here. I just want to... Um, Keep because I, 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 there's yeah. things about about Zhao's motivation I think become interesting uh, mm-hmm. looking at the end. So I want to oh we'll yeah. do that when we get to the end. Um, so now we start what I think, and this is not hyperbole. I genuinely believe that the scene with Ko is one of, if not the best scene in television history. Look, I, I I was just gonna say the exact same thing, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm gonna gush about this. Is the best comedic thing that ever happened in a TV show. It was built over two episodes long. It was five seconds long, and I would argue it makes me belly laugh no matter how many times I see it and know it's coming. And just imagine being the viewer the first time you ever watch it. It is literally (laughs) S-tier, like, setup, execution, and then, you know, he literally runs, he gets thrown off the edge, and that's it. And it's it's the best thing ever done in a TV. I agree with Mark. It's the best thing ever done. That is not what I was talking about. When he's talking to Zhao and he's in the Fire Nation armor. And no. He's like, that's what I'm going to get you. And no. he, Admiral Cho. No, I'm not talking about Mr. Jerk. I'm talking oh, that, about. That is a funny scene. I realize that one. Oh, yes. oh, I was talking about my the fun best scene in television. I guess you weren't on the same page as me. No, you're clearly <laughs> not on the same page. I don't think Mr. Jerk running up and saying Admiral Cho and getting thrown off is the... I think it's a funny scene. I do not think it's the best I, scene. I, definitely, scene no, I think it was funny. And possibly television, and that's not hyperbole. I think that's in my top three scenes of all time. I, I definitely approve of how Joe doesn't even like bad eyelash. And neither does, it's never brought up again. There's no, no. words. Oh, so yeah. Neither their conversation, Whatever. like, nothing happened. And he's a character that's been set up over, I don't, I don't, it's the best, I don't know, I'm so happy. It's the best no, I, <laughs> sorry, I, I just, that wasn't what I was talking about. So let's, <laughs> let me take a break. I will talk about Conan. Corey was gushing over the, the, the scene with, um, I, I, does anyone actually know his name? Or are we just going to keep calling you know him what? Jerk? I'll find it in a second. Hold on. All right. Well, we're going to keep calling him Mr. Jerk for now. So when he runs up, I, I do think it is a very funny scene. I think that what what Corey said is true about like that they just kind of completely ignore it. Like it's this completely meaningless thing to, to Zhao, but it was set that, up as this big deal, and it's, it's, it's interrupting a conversation about killing a spirit and setting the earth Han. out of balance. So oh, Han. The betrothed name is Han. No. Okay. There you go. Like Han Solo, or, or Han? Charles, you want to weigh in? Uh, yeah, but now it's cool. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Do we ever... Ooh, here we go. Often considered by women 
as the most handsome warrior in the northern tribe. It makes it better. Han preoccupied himself with making a good impression on his superiors. It makes it so much better hearing that. Um, I, I, I would disagree. I don't think this is the funniest scene. I think, for me, I think Sonic Scream is the funniest. And, and just everything in Around Players is the funniest in this show. Okay. It's okay to have a wrong opinion. <laughs> yeah, you better because you have a lot of them. Anything. Uh, skating. That's true. Um, all right. Does any? Do you guys have anything on on that scene before I move on? It, it was very amusing to watch, and how there was like no reaction at all to it. <laughs> no, I like Iris' face is like, what the. F- like, what? <laughs> it was Plan in episode, the last episode, where they were talking about the armor, the Fire Nation armor, and how yeah. right? And that's yeah. the grand plan. And like, oh, Troy! And you would, as the viewer, you would think he's going to get out of the ship and maybe like cause a little fight to happen. And sure, he's going to lose. But the fact that it was just a setup for him to charge in and get casually tossed over, and that's that, was the, it's it's like unexpected. It's like, it's just such, it's such a thing you see all the time. I that's think... Like, I think the reason I'm not as high on it as you, Corey, is I just don't like hit Han as a plotline. So that's what makes it funny. <laughs> I guess. I guess if you look at it from that perspective, it does make it funny. Julia, are you about to say something? Yeah. No. I mean, you guys have just been bashing Zuko for not having a plan with bringing Aang into the blizzard, but <laughs> look how well all that water tribe planning went. This is a guy we've referred to in the last two days as Mr. Jerk, so I don't think we're going to care that much. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but... It's fine, he can swim. I would hope so. No, I think he's dead. That's why I've never seen him again. He's probably dead. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Maybe he is, maybe we won't. I didn't say he died. I think there should be a spin-off series on him. How do you do that when you Him in the afterlife. Him oh. navigating the spirit world. I'm going to have to say no. I'd him navigating that. the Kessel Run. You know, how does that work after the end of the <laughs> yeah. world? Oh my god. Oh yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> when he dies, he becomes Han Solo. Yes! <gasps> oh my gosh. This was his first taste trying to get with a princess, and then... You, you got it. Alright, we, we oh, cracked the code. <laughs> We should uh, tweet the Avatar creators this time, not with a uh, hashtag. You, you know how much they Price love, and Polo, love but Star Wars. Hashtag right? Han is Han Solo. Because <laughs> they love Star Wars. I know. So there we go. You're welcome. You also have Yoda. Yeah. That gets way ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so this is my favorite thing. Scene in television. Now we're going to talk about what I think is the greatest scene in television. I think Ko, the, the conversation between Ang and Ko, is without hyperbole one of the best scenes in television history. Now I'm going to let you guys talk about that because I kind of went off on a lot of rants last night. So I'm going to let you guys talk and then I'll give my thoughts. Afterwards. Can I go first real quick? Yes, you can. Something I always really liked is um, like even when I heard the name Ko, because when I was younger, like, I had uh, been watching anime for a while and was, like, familiar with Japanese culture. And I would hear ko, and I was like, huh, ko, that sounds like no. Because uh, in Japanese culture, there's a traditional mask called a no mask. And um, it's used in performances, but it's also, like, has dark urban legends. And 
I was like, oh, that's funny. It's like a, like a no mask and he steals people's face. And then I saw him and I was like, oh my God, he's legit wearing like a no mask. And it's, it's so cool because um, the whole premise of no masks themselves is um, essentially it takes away negative energy from a person until the point where they're rotting, essentially. And uh, then incorporates the old body onto a new body, essentially just growing together. So, like, taking life and destroying it. And so when I saw visually that Ko was wearing a no mask, essentially, it, it just was amazing for me. And I know that may not make total sense, <laughs> but that whole concept of using utilizing the no mask um, imagery in that was really interesting in the, again, the concept of like taking life and the idea of taking the face, which almost is like taking away the life of something. Mm -hmm. So I liked that. Okay. Yeah. I, I, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyone else on Co? On the, on the face spirit? Yes. Co. Face stealing um, spirit. I think it is... You, you like you guys say like they had to do what the kids showed them, so they had to like mold it to be just like you know kind of dark. But they had like a limit. I think this is dark even for a kid show. This is as you guys said earlier, legit nightmare fuel, mm -hmm. and it, it, like I could see this being in something that's like TV fourteen, and I wouldn't bat an eye. And it's like the the, the voice acting is phenomenal. The tension is high, like. It, I, I agree with you, Mark. Like this is a pinnacle scene, and this is all of Avatar. And I, I, you're right. I, I love the idea of Ko, and I, I love just how high stakes tension it just felt the second Aang walked in there. Like, because mm -hmm. like, and they, as you said, they prefaced it with like seeing the faceless monkey, and it, it was one of those things that like you were on the edge of your seat the first time you watched this. Yeah, and it, it, it also had, like, a really great dark comedic aspect to it. Like, mm -hmm. Ko is, he's funny in, like, a really creepy way. Yeah. Um, I love how he acts. And then another thing about this scene that I think is just incredible, because it, it does seem like it's, ba if you want to talk about, like, it's ba being based on a scene, it does feel very similar. In Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the um, conversation between Ron and Harry with Aragon. But I this is way better because the problem that that scene in harry potter has is there's really no reason for aragog to be telling them anything he plans to kill them them information so that they can escape and then run away it doesn't really make sense he was planning on eating them that's mm -hmm. it but what makes this scene great is that ko is not 100 percent like trying essentially stealing's face like he lives by a, a certain rule of of this not showing emotion and and i right off that i like that i love villains who sort of have a rule and follow them especially if they're spiritual like mm -hmm. this or like there's some level of you know it, it adds an extra level of intrigue to them and b you can sort of like look at ko and say i actually think that he kind of wants to help i don't think he's 100% on board, obviously, if, you know, if, if, Aang, if he, Aang gave him a reason to, he probably would have taken Aang's face, mm -hmm. but it's sort of in that, yeah, I'll help this human, because obviously, Zhao killing the moon, you know, killing the moon spirit would be a major problem for everyone, spirits and humans alike, so 
I, I just love that it actually makes sense that this dark, creepy, high tension scene actually makes sense that the, the creepy character is talking. It's not it's not just this contrived, oh well they gave him information and then oh well you're not gonna leave now. It's you know, Co is exactly the way he is and then bang, you know, we get the end, I must be going and yeah. walks out and leaves and that's it. I personally also really like the um the background that Co gives as in like, well, Avatar, last time we met, you tried to kill me. And it, it, it kind of then shows, like, a bit of the history of Avatar. Like, oh, yeah, I stole the face from the woman you loved. And, of course, Aang's, like, not that Avatar. But it was, like, an interesting kind of backstory also of the relationship that the Avatar has had in the past with spirits in the spirit world. Yeah, and that an interesting thing, thing to note on that is that the entire plot of, of that with Avatar Kieran losing the woman he loved is based on the Avatar having inaction. Um, mm-hmm. Like Kieran talks about how he was kind of a go with the flow Avatar. He didn't really take it, you know, take much of an interest in world affairs. And then this happens, and and he says, he kind of says to Ang, like you have to, you have to take action. You can't just be passive, um, or bad things will happen. And there's it's sort of is interesting, like looking at it um, with where Ang is right now, because this is kind of the first time Ang is like really actively fighting the war um it's not you know you can say it's not his fault but ang has been completely inactive for a hundred years um so you sort of also look at it as sort of an interesting parallel between you know kieran's story and ang's and then kind of both meeting this this character and co which kind of forced them into action um in whatever way that they could yeah um, and just and just in general, I mean, I, I probably said the writing here, I think, is is also really top notch. Um, and and on that, the voice acting is even better. Uh, like Ko is so like that going between like kind of being calm and um, and then suddenly going to really high emotion, which kind of works with what he's trying to do with you know getting trying to push Yang off his game. Um, and then on another note, the animation, I love the way Ko moves. Um, just that kind of like very creepy centipede like motions where he encircles Aang and uncircles him. I just think it overall, it just, it looks, it just, it looks phenomenal. The parts I like the best too are the sudden jumps where he just jumps to Aang, which like, again, it's like not necessarily jump scares. It just makes you feel uneasy the entire time that, he can literally just take Aang's face at any possible wrong move in second, which makes like any hint of emotion that Aang might show like even scarier as you, again you being a viewer. Mm-hmm. Charles, good. Oh uh, yeah, I mean um, that's especially true at the end of their meeting, where Aang comes to the realization that Wei Ma are the fish, and then you see it. You see his face change, and as a kid, I remember thinking, "Oh my god, he's gonna lose this face." And then, um, co-turning on Sue Aiden, that they make legitimately threatening. I mean, we, we, and you said it before; it's just course on in general super threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that last line is great. Just like hangs me like I must 
keep going now. He turns mm-hmm. the ball. I just there's something it, it it actually fits really well with the end of this that Ang kind of went in, um, and you know, and at the end he's just like, all right, I'm gonna leave. Um, Julie, anything to say on on Co? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I really loved was how they showed Ang like falter for a second, like what you mentioned, uh, and how Co gets there just like a second too late to actually steal Aang's face, but you as the audience feel that tension and genuine terror that something bad is going to happen to Aang, and they really do a fantastic job at absorbing the audience in that confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one final note to close to close out this scene, um, it's just the final, sort of final piece of putting together this quest that Aang had to go on, and, and you can sort of see, like, dealing with Ko doesn't seem like a particularly easy thing. Um, Aang, er, so to speak, earned the knowledge that he eventually gets about the spirits, and it is, like, really consequential to the plot, because Aang, like, this is why Aang ends up back in the um, oasis, or in the um, spirit oasis, this is why, how he knows what's going to happen with the fish, and, and is able to sort of um, deal with it. And I think that in general, that's, if you're going to have that, if, if you wanted to have the end of this episode be this giant spirit monster destroying the Fire Nation, you, you needed to give Ang, have Ang go through something challenging in order to earn that power. And they earned it. This, this scene earns that in the, in the finale. Um, so a little bit in there, because we, we go back to uh, some stuff in the battle. Um, a small note, we talked about it a tad last week, but Paku, Paku's pretty cool. Like, him fighting just, a, like, all the tanks and everything, was, was, that was cool. Grand Paku. Yes, Grand Paku. Um, and then we get one, we kind of get one last, like, major framing where, where we, especially now that we know... Um, Zhao's plan with like the moon directly behind him, and mm-hmm. I, I think that framing was was great. You can just it, it feels at that point Zhao just is like oozing that evil um, swagger that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a, a little tie-in to uh, the spirit world where Ang gets help from Heibai uh, to get back. Um, it works, and it, it, it also is nice because it means, like, it gives another, like, bit of weight to, like, the, the reason he's able to make it back is because, you know, of, of something he did in the past, that he helped out the spirit and is sort of gaining allies, if that makes sense, um, who, who, can, who can be called on in a pinch. Yeah. Nice call back to the Elder Spirit World episodes. Or the episode called The Spirit. Yes. Um, all right. So we get the big like decision time for Aang, um, where Aang decides that they can't leave Zuko. They have to to bring him along. And I really like this from Aang. I think that it's like it, it is his character to to show his respect for life. But I'm curious what you guys how you guys feel about that. I thought it was a really good moment because I thought it kind of showed a bit of growth in Aang because it shows him. Like, yeah, obviously this guy kidnapped me and everything, but it kind of shows him kind of taking some kind of responsibility of, like, yes, it was wrong, but 
I have to be the bigger person here and do the right thing. Well, so, so when you say growth, does that imply you think Aang would not have saved him at the beginning of book one? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I, I'm really not. I don't know. I completely I think disagree. Gonna, I think yeah, I'm with Gordon. Saves him. My yeah. issue actually comes from Sokka saying that, yeah, you leave him here to die. I don't think Sokka, sure, Sokka hates him. I think Sokka wasn't saying it literally. I think he was just saying it like, I'll just leave him, like that type of way. But, I mean, if he meant it, that's pretty dark too. So, it's, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, go ahead, Sean. Wait, but that, that makes sense. Dude, he, he's grown up literally hating the fire. He's, he and Zuka have no love lost. <laughs> yeah, but not enough to kill a man. I mean, the Fire yeah, Nation sure did kill that. his that mother. I mean, about fighting this war, so I, I don't think the hatred for the Fire Nation, anybody from the Fire Nation, is lacking. Only alms about harming Fire Nation people is when they're civilians, but obviously that's not the case with Zuko. Yeah. Julia, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I was just saying, um, definitely with, uh, Sokka, like, he, I mean, his mother was killed by the Fire Nation. I don't think he would have any qualms with leaving Zuko to die. Maybe not a civilian, obviously, but he associates Zuko with everything he's grown up to hate about the Fire Nation, and since he's such a practical, like, logistical type of person I don't think he really I, I think it's very in character for him to just say yeah just leave him like and the conflict between him and Aang uh, that definitely sets up uh, for the rest of the series even going into the finale that's the main conflict uh, Aang versus Sokka about how they're going to address the Fire Lord so I think that's very pertinent only they had done it well what did I say something um, but I, Melon Lord, you they started, had Melon you Lord. You can't argue with Melon Lord. What we talked earlier about, like Sokka and and Zuko, kind of being foils. You can kind of see that though here because later on, like I know um, Zuko is kind of kind of be presented with the same choice, and he's going to err on the side of life. It's kind of interesting to to see that. Um, obviously, I think it's more about showing the similarities between Aang and Zuko, but it's interesting to sort of throw Sokka in there, but that Sokka's the one who's like, you know, not that we should just, if you if someone is kind of dying on their own accord and, and we don't have to go out of our way to save them, and kind of makes the same choice. As, but that's, as, not, that's not even true. It's not, it's not a, a big deal for them to pick him up and make him, like, put him onto Appa. Like, if it's one thing if they had to, like, go on foot and they couldn't carry him the rest of the way, but... It's like, I think if he meant what he said, like, just leave him there, that's like the darkest moment. Well, he did gone. mean what he said. I think he did. I, I mean, it's dark, yeah. but I mean, it's war. Yeah, but then you see Zuko, who you would think would actually be the one that does it. And he doesn't do it to a man he hates just as much as Sokka hates. So, like, are we saying And that's that? why they're foils. True, yeah. but... One is supposed to be, like, at this point, the protagonist, and one's the antagonist. Which is what makes Avatar interesting, that they have that distinction, that they can have a darker side to Sokka and a lighter side to Zuko. True. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys 
see it as he he meant it. I I, I again I think he is like he wasn't thinking in the moment because they were in such a desperate position. But if it was like Saka, they weren't in a rush, and Saka saw him there, they wouldn't. Saka wouldn't say this to him. I think Saka wasn't thinking at the moment because he wants to rush back and save the spirit. But I I think Saka. I think this is the scene, the beginnings of Saka. I mean, we saw a little bit before, but like more the beginnings of Saka being a war commander. Where I think that in in some situations, yes, yeah, Saka is going to do certain things. But I think in this moment, like for Saka, like we're in a war. That's an enemy combatant. You know, we're not going to go out of our way to murder him, but you know, we don't need to actually save him. And I, and I think Julia's right that there is, like, in many ways, the the moral complexities of Avatar are all built on Zuko, Zuko's character arc and like his the difficult difficulties that he has with his own values and his own uh, identity. But I think that you can see some interesting stuff with Katara and Sokka with the way they have to deal with how they feel about the Fire Nation after what happened to their mother. So, Charles or uh, Corey, anything else to say on that before I transition? No. Okay. Um, so we see with once uh, Zhao gets to the um, pond and takes out the spirit. Um, right off the bat, I think that they do a great job of making this look like the disaster that they're billing this as. Um, mm-hmm. Like regardless of what it's actually doing, like and obviously it is, but just like from a look, just seeing the moon encased in red is is really incredible. I think you had something you want to say on that, Julia, right? Oh, yeah, just that's one of the things that definitely sticks out to me about this episode, how uh, after he uh, takes the spirit, how everything just turns red, and just the animation here is probably some of the best, at least this po- at this point in the series. That w- It was really phenomenal how they handled this. And I know Lindsay is the resident art expert here, so I don't know if she has anything to say about this beautiful (laughs) it was it was so freaky and horror-esque but it was also so beautiful watching just like the red light envelop everything Mm -hmm. like such an awesome moment especially seeing um the it it almost was i thought also kind of symbolic of the red consuming everything and watching the waterbenders lose their ability to waterbend and almost the red of the Fire Nation consuming everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like, just so, so, so pretty. It was horrible, but so, so pretty to watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was horribly beautiful. Now, in this moment, <laughs> we get the beginning of the backstory on UA and how she um, became you know, or, or why how she's affected he, by the moon like <laughs> um, How do you guys feel about this backstory being presented here and um, its role in the story? I think it was very, I love it just as like one of those mini stories in like a, a fantasy show where you're, you're talking about like how she was born and she couldn't breathe. And it, it's just like, it works on that level. But I also think this is also kind of a deus ex. The moon's 
thank God Zhao chooses to go for the moon spirit and not the ocean spirit. It's like, it's very like, good thing all this is happening right now. But at the same time, it's not, I'm not bothered by it because it's so tactfully done. So it doesn't yeah. necessarily bother me, but it's definitely noticeable. That was, yeah. Very good. I, nice. I agree with Corey. And I also kind of considered too, like, when else in the story would that come up? Because this is kind of like a really serious personal thing to UA. So it's not like she's just going to casually be like, Oh, Sokka, let, like flirting, blah, 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 blah. Oh, <laughs> did you know when I was younger, I almost died and got uh, resurrected thanks to the moon spirit? That's such a nice, nice thing. Like it's, Relatable. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah. one of those things where clearly like it, it had the purpose of like, oh, well, good thing, like, she's here it's gonna fit in perfectly with that but at the same time the revelation of it being there fit well with the story and the context and why it's happening there yeah i i agree with all that i i know i disagree with this but i know one of the complaints that people do have is they feel that this was kind of shoehorned in at the end that it's sort of at the last moment um it's mentioned that you know ua is this person obviously you if you know what her name means you can kind of see the the foreshadowing even earlier and i think they actually do a good job of foreshadowing uh the moon with ua in in several of the scenes in uh waterbending master um but i was just i was just curious how you guys feel about the sort of just putting this in here i i agree with with what Lindsay said that it, it really actually makes a lot of sense here and the fact that it even they add in the fact that ua is feeling the effects of the moon and that's why she's mentioning it um you know it adds in a, a la- an extra layer of, of making sense um as for Corey's point about the um sort of convenience of all of this i think that i i disagree with putting the ocean part of it in because i i don't see a reason for the fire nation to want to destroy the ocean spirit because they are just as dependent upon like international trade via well, that's funny that's what that's what i want to I, I we're probably going to dive into this but i now that we're already on a topic, this is what... Well, no, right, this is where to dive into it. He's taken the moon out of the water. So this is we where it's weird to me. Like, that the fact that the moon is literally a spirit and not a celestial body. I, I would understand that the celestial body of the moon has a spirit, and if you kill the spirit of the moon, maybe you take away what the moon actually means scientifically and also culturally, spiritually, all of that. When you killed the moon, it literally disappeared. So if they killed the ocean spirit, would all of the oceans on the planet disappear? Like, is everything tied into that? Because that's what, like, I like it because, again, I'm talking about a fantasy universe right now and a cartoon at that. And I respect that in this universe, the moon and the ocean happen to have spirits that connect it physically as to the, the, the physical earth. And I'm, I'm, I, that's what I'm okay with. But at the same time, it makes you especially when you're analyzing it as like a critic the way we are now after repeat viewings, it makes you really think as a whole, like, is that something written in a way that makes a lot of sense? Or is it just also just a a plot device in order to tell like a nice artistic story? I think it's fine because I think that if you look at across the board within the avatar uh, mythos, there are a lot of things that have, these kind of effects. I mean, a comet flying through the air can power up firebenders, even though comets are actually made of ice and very cold. Um, and, you know, in our world, an atmospheric entry. So. Yeah, but the comet's not entering the atmosphere. If yeah, it's but, no, but I, I want to separate like science. Like, sure, a comet no. is cold. 
what I'm what I mean by my, my point though being that I I don't have a problem with them writing in like the lore that they want to establish is fine. If they've established in this world the moon and the ocean are spirits and killing them does something. I, I don't I do not have a problem with them making that unless it's something that like is totally a one-off and has like has never been explored whatsoever. But we know that spirits have profound effects. We know that the moon has an effect on waterbenders. We know that the sun has an effect on waterbenders. We know that, uh, we, you know, eventually we're going to learn that a, an eclipse um, has a major, you know, prevents firebenders from bending. Um, yeah, I, I, I like and I like all these established things in the universe because that's world building and it builds a fantasy world. But then, if fine, I'll uh, then we're, we're at the point now where the moon and the ocean are physical spirits that swim around. Don't you think that would be the most heavily guarded thing on that planet? Like, it like seems like most people don't know this though. Yeah, it's a very but, top secret thing. Yeah, but Admiral Zhao was able to figure it out. <laughs> that secret he entered, library. The library. <laughs> Buried huh. library that no one has found for you know thousands of hundreds years. of years. But, but obviously, like um, Iroh knows about it, and a lot of people in the well, water. Iroh, yeah, Iroh learned from the dragon. Is in the Avatar Illuminati, so yeah, he knows everything. But that's what I'm saying. The Avatar Illuminati should put all their resources <laughs> to make sure no one kills the moon or the ocean. <laughs> like, that's I, such a big deal. But I think it actually makes sense, though, that the best way to defend it is to just let it fade into history so no one notices. No one actually believes that it's real. Sure. And now, But now that we have um, Yue, you know, giving up her, her Trump card, and now if anything ever happened to those two things again, I'm assuming the world is over. I mean, yeah, and I, I think that is a problem you have to deal with. At the end, although we do know that the, it seems like the water tribe in the north becomes a little bit more yeah. um, dictatorial. So maybe that's actually part of it. And I also want to separate these. I'm not complaining per se, and I'm, these actually aren't negatives. And you'll see in my overall final rating of the episode that this actually doesn't bother me. But now we're looking at these episodes in a critical way. So it, it is noticeable. And again, as we spoke about with UA, thank God this was... She's like the deus ex machina that puts the story back together, and it happened right in a, that's what the climax was. It was like, oh, convenient, 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 convenient. And it's fine, because again, it is all set up, and, and it's not bad writing per se. But then it, just, it makes you think more and more about just the Avatar universe as a whole, just moving forward and, and, and looking backwards, and it's just very interesting to think about. And then it, this actually dives into another complaint, which I'm, I'm saying to you as a complaint, but it's not really a complaint. Once the moon is dead, you don't really see consequences. Everything goes black and white in a beautiful, artistic way. By the way, I love it. I also love the fact that right, let's, what? let's let's get to that when we when we when the spirit is actually dead. Because um, right. there's a lot I want to say on that. It's not dead um, yet. But um, we. Actually, in like episodes, probably even I think the first episode uh, about like when does Iroh actually defect? I think it's here. I think it's in this moment. Iroh realizes everything's gone too far. The Zhao is crazy. He needs to stop Zhao, and 
this the, the Fire Nation has created too many problems. And I think this is that whatever his his um, actions before this have been for the most part in defense of the Fire Nation. And at this point, I think this is the moment he breaks away. I know you, Lindsay, believe in more of a grand Iro conspiracy. I believe that there are deeper questions of the Fire Nation before this moment, but this obviously is that clear, decisive moment for viewers and for the Fire Nation to understand, like, no, Iro is not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I added, I, Iro's voice performance is also so really incredible. Like it's it's that first moment where you know Iro's voice goes from the the kind of gull, you know goofy guy to just the badass general. Mm-hmm. You see, like a definitely more serious side to him, and just it, it's amazing to just to see that type of side to Iro come out. Because it's again, it's not something that we like automatically always see. Yeah, and it, and it also kind of adds extra weight to this because when you have a character that's usually goofing off and is suddenly extremely serious, and it kind of adds like, that no. weight of like, oh wow, this is this is important. This is my, yeah. actually one of my favorite Iro scenes too because mm-hmm. that intensity is up to this point something you've never seen before. And the, 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 again, one of my favorite Iro lines ever is like, "Whatever you do to that spirit, I'll unleash on you tenfold." Like, you know he's serious. You know for a fact, like, Ira would literally kill Zhao the next day being the moon spirit. And then he, I mean, he doesn't kill Zhao, but he then immediately unleashes hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't hard. And then Zhao no, is just him. like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now, so Zhao ends up killing killing the spirit. So now I want to, we'll start with talking about Zhao's plan. Um, Corey, you talked a little bit about this, or not even a little, you talked about this um, earlier on. But I want, so I'm going to throw this around uh, the room uh, to discuss Zhao's plan and, and how you guys feel about Zhao deciding to, to kill a spirit. Uh, so, Julia, you're our guest. So why don't you start us off? Um, little short-sighted, to say the least. Um, just, just a little bit. Um, I definitely do think this is, uh, like, the culmination of how they've been building up uh, Zhao's character to this point, and it's very in character for him and it definitely embodies the kind of pettiness he is. I mean, this is a man, a grown man who picks fights with teenagers because they challenge him. Uh, the whole Agni Kai. And so if he sees that killing the moon is a very short-term, easy plan for him to win this battle. He doesn't really care about the long-term consequences or the yin and yang, the balance. He just wants to get it done. And so that seemed very in character for Zhao. Yeah. All right, Charles? Um, pretty much the same. Zhao's been... We know from uh, when... Chong Chong talks about him that he yeah, never Chong. really learned self restraint. He's super impulsive. We see him blow up his own ships. We also know that he's like super egotistical and he says it himself he has thought this would be his destiny for what is implied to be years upon years, perhaps even decades. Um 
And of so, all things to dream of having a destiny for, like killing the moon. Does would that not sound cool to you as like an impulsive teenager? Dude, I'm gonna kill the moon. Best name ever. <laughs> Legends will be the best nickname ever made in history. The moon, moon Slayer. It's like a good. It's awesome. Um, no, but so like he's been dreaming about this for a long time. He probably didn't really think it thoroughly through at the when he first uh found that archive, and as we know, um. Avatar world at this point in time is not super spirit. I mean, sorry, individuals in the Avatar world at this point in time are not super spiritual, especially in the Fire Nation. Yeah, like they they mentioned um they mentioned Iros foray into the spirit world is like this ridiculously rare thing, and so you know that not everybody understands just how like important these uh, spirits are. So yeah, yeah, it's it makes sense. Like obviously it's stupid, but it makes sense that he would stick with it and uh, not have the foresight to understand that that's a bad idea. Twins. Mm-hmm. Zhao's just one of those people that he just goes on like some kind of weird power trip. Like I just, I my biggest question in all of this is like. What the fuck kind of childhood did Zhao have that his dream is to become the Moon Slayer? Like, th- there's got to be like some deeper issue here that I'm so intrigued on, like what actually happened. <laughs> but I, I think logically, it makes a lot of sense for him to be this type of like he has this big plan he's been like thinking of for years, and when you think about it, like. It, it is pretty impulsive, and he doesn't think about the ramifications of it, really. Um, I actually, I'm going to kind of disagree a little bit. I don't think it's impulsive, and I don't, and I think he's thought through the ramifications. I just don't think he cares. I, to me, what I love about this plan is that for Zhao, this is entirely about building this legendary mythos um, to his name. And if you look at the Fire Nation, um, and just like the fact that we talk about the comet as Sozin's comet, um, this is this incredibly important thing, and it's named after a, a person, the person who used it to destroy the Air Nation, the Airbender civilization. And I think that it's, it makes a lot of sense that someone like Zhao would, would look, he's looking for his signature thing. He wants to be remembered in the history books. And if you remember at the very beginning of the finale, Zhao talks about, you know, hundreds of years from now, they're going to talk about the great Admiral Zhao who destroyed the last of the, you know, the water tribe civilization. He wants to be remembered. And whether yeah, but this... does he really consider the consequences not just for destroying the waterbenders, but any type of consequence or ramification it might have on like, the Fire Nation at all? Like, there's got to be almost, something that's going to happen. Like, but I almost, tides, the the trades are going to be, like, fucked up. Like, But I think that's almost what he wants. He wants to be remembered for the person who for fundamentally... Up everything. Well, I don't, I don't think he thinks of it as fucking up everything. I think he thinks of it as changing the world in a massive, dramatic way. Just as, right now, people remember Sozin as this incredible Fire Lord who launched this incredible attack against these airbenders and destroyed them. 
and he's celebrating. And I think that in this culture of the Fire Nation, in this massive cult of personality where, you know, it's all every, you know, it's obviously a totalitarian state, but on top of that, it's all about these giant, like, personalities. I think that that, for Zhao, is what he wants. I think he, I don't think it's that he looks at this and goes, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. I think he looks at this and says, this is going to be a massive deal. The world is going to be completely different, and everyone is going to think about me and how I'm the one who did it. I think he recognizes it's going to be a big deal, but I also don't think he really, I don't know, something about it just... I mean, I would agree that I don't think he understands the overall how bad it's probably going to be. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't... I wouldn't ignore the fact that, like, he he has studied the library. He knows that this is the moon spirit. He knows that this will destroy waterbending. Like, he, it's not like he's doesn't believe. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna see. You know, when we, we next see Zhao um, in Korra. That, what is he obsessed with? He's, you know, just obsessed with this, I am Zhao the Con- Given the response, I want you to now respond about the end. Um, I think you nailed it on the head. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And if you, you don't, like, if you are the man who killed the moon and literally made waterbending an extinct art, you're in the history books. And that's something right on the ball of what the Fire Lord would want in your underlings, because they pretty much made the Air Nation extinct. So, like, this is... That's why I think Zhao is perfect for the Fire Lord. It's like the perfect underling. And he... Everything he thought about, I think he completely thought about this decision. And it's just such a great, cool thing just to think about the concept of... Forget about destroying the moon... It's just the fact that you also are making an entire bending art extinct. It's just so interesting. That's such a cool concept. I'm not saying cool concept. I'm saying like it's something that's very. It doesn't. It's not like Zuko going into a blizzard with an unconscious avatar. It is something that is completely. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he has no remorse for doing it. I'm not saying it's not premeditated, but. The, the key thing we kind of skip over here is that Sozin's comet, Sozin is seen as something positive, right? The destruction of the air nomad culture, basically the airbenders, uh, was seen as like a vastly positive thing by the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. I don't think that if you weighed out what would have happened had the moon stayed dead, his actions would have been seen in the same light. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, and I I, under, I agree with you. I think that um, Zhao probably undersells how bad it would have been for the Fire Nation, but I think that in his mind, he sees this as, it's obviously going to hurt the Water Tribe the most. We're the Fire Nation. We're the technologically advanced. We're going to, we can deal with this, and we're going to rise above it and and eventually like it this like leads to more of victory in the war. Mind well, what? We'll 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 discuss whether that would have led to victory in the war because um there are some implications about the 
thing Aang does. Well, yes, obviously. Dude. But the, and then, and keep in mind, though, that the Fire Lord in the end is going to, like, his final plan is to burn the entirety of the Earth Kingdom down. Like, burn all the land, destroy everything, and rebuild it. Like, these are not people who are immune to, like, the consequences of their actions. But well, that makes sense. Scorched Earth is a strategy that's been really effective in real-world wars. Yes, it is. It's just it would kill lots and lots and lots of people. That's fine, because it doesn't kill your <laughs> people. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Well, so I wanna, I, I, that's why I want to jump into the next section about the consequences after the moon spirit died. Because yeah. we don't see them. We see a black and white earth in artistic fashion. I'm not talking about literally. Mm-hmm. And we only really see what was intended. The, the waterbenders lose their bending ability. And that's that. You don't see the world go into chaos. And sure, that could take a while. And if it stayed dead, who knows what would have happened. But that's, I, again, I'm not faulting the episode. And this is not a criticism. Well, it is a criticism, but it's not one that's going to hurt the episode. It's that it happened. And you don't see the actual tangible consequences of what he just did. You know what the tangible consequence was? What? The ocean spirit went, like, moved, started moving randomly and crazily, and then mine melded with Aang to fucking... <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. That's the best thing I've ever seen in my entire... Oh my God. That's a pretty shitty <laughs> consequence for the Fire Nation, but, though. No, but that's just pretty much Aang going into, like, Super Saiyan, yeah. Super Avatar mode. I, what Corey's, what Corey's point is being is like the, just removing Ang and what happens afterwards. Just once the moon is gone, do we see enough consequences? I disagree with him though. I think that we can, but Charles, you can keep talking. Oh, I was gonna say, I, I feel like part of that implies that had the moon spirit not been revived, the fish spirit, water Ang, avatar thing, thing. Would have literally, like, chased the Fire Nation boats all the way back to the Fire Nation and just, like, Atlantis to the country. Possible. Mm. We don't know. But my, I, I would say, though, I think that, just one, the fact that we've eliminated waterbending from the world, right off the bat, is a pretty major consequence. I think the... But intended. It was intended. Oh, yeah, of course. I think it was intended. But I think that the sort of throwing the world into chaos part is much more of a uh, long-term type of thing. True. But, like, again, also with, like, they... This was also on par for what the Fire Nation would love to do. They already made the air nomads extinct besides Aang. And, sure, they would love to make the water bending extinct. That's, That's what the Fire Nation's about. It's about... That complete domination. That's why the world's out of balance. Yeah, I agree. I don't... What's the... My, 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 my point is, everything we saw after the spirit died, other than Aang, you know, turning into what he turned into, was exactly intended. Which is kind of, I think, what you and I were saying, that I don't... I, I, I mean, obviously, Zhao is evil, but I don't think he's stupid. Is that what you're saying? Um... Uh, I think no. we're saying that we don't see any negative effects from the Fire Nation from this action, at least in this Do we frame. need to? 
No, and of course what he did, no matter what we saw, was um, bad, and the viewer would obviously think it, and everything is is true, it's bad, but I think destroying the moon should lead to ultimate chaos, where you see the, I I would love to see a scene where the ocean is going, not just the spirit, but the actual ocean is sinking Fire Nation ships and killing their own men, other than actually going into Aang, I wish Aang didn't do that, I wish Aang went could have done his own thing and i wish you just saw the ocean itself destroy the fire nation i no, i don't agree with that at all because um, no go ahead charles you can go ahead I'll, I'll I, I think well okay i agree with mark in that i love the fact that like they're um they're they're uh, holding the moon spirit the fish and it's like it's dead. There's nothing we can do. And Aang is like, no. It's not and over. No, it's, it's not over. Yeah, it's no, not it's over. not over. His tattoos blow up. He's got the echoed Avatar voice. I and love that sound effect, by the way. It is great. Um, at the same time, if someone said, would you have liked this episode more? Had they extended it three minutes and added scenes of the ocean? Like, going into massive turmoil, yes, that would have been awesome. In a choice between the two, I, I think I'd like the way they did it probably better than it would have the other one. And also, like, if it happened that way, then you could all say, like, look how, sh- look how sh- everyone could point the finger and be like, I told you so. And we all know that if it was long-term, they didn't fix the moon, it would have happened. We all, it's like obvious, like, you don't have to show it. Of course you don't have to show it. But being the viewer, wanting to say to Admiral Zhao, ha ha, I told you so, like, it would be such more, like, cinematically right if you saw the, 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 the real consequences right there, where everything was in disarray. You, you see the actual physical consequences other than what you already knew was going to happen and what Zhao thought would happen. The reason I don't agree with that is, one, we know in this universe there is a eclipse, which has the same effect. So I, the, reason I don't, I, the reason I think that in the, the sort of short period of time we don't see the mass chaos that you're expecting is because at, it sort of acts as a lunar eclipse um, that, you know, for a brief time the moon is, is, is being blocked out. Um, and we actually later on, Katara refers to this as a lunar eclipse. Um, so to some degree, it is on, the, to on their minds. And I think that the thing, though, the reason I, I don't, I wouldn't have liked um, the mass chaos is I think that what makes the spirits and all of this interesting and, and makes the Avatar, like all this Avatar mythos is it's all about the long-term balance, the long-term impacts of, of these, of, of the world being in chaos. And I don't, I think making it this like binary thing where instantaneously the ocean is going crazy. I, I don't, to me, that makes it way more, um, it, it, to me, it takes away from the, the really interesting spiritual, spiritual questions of all of this, where then it just becomes this like, the world is either okay or it's in chaos. I think that it's more about the how on a long-term scale, without the moon, without the tides, without water bending, the world kind of 
would not be able to function the way it should. Just as removing the Air Nation removes a fundamental part of the world and leads to, to, to untold problems that we're seeing throughout this, this you know, world ravaged by war. One's like a natural phenomenon. One is a, a culture, right? Which uh, obviously, you're right. It's like terrible for the world that the air nomads are gone and have been gone for a hundred years at this point in the show. But like, I, I don't. I, I and also, you, you physically see the, the the spirit in the water going crazy. So it wouldn't be. It's not going crazy. It's just flow. It's not floating in the same dance. It's it's moving erratically, erratically. But it's not. It's not like it's flailing around like crazy. I, I see. I view it, and I that's what I saw. I saw it flailing around like when a chicken had its head. No, I didn't at all. I saw it as it's now out of balance and not moving the way it should. But mm. it's 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 still what it, it wasn't going like bananas. I mean, obviously, we don't know. We don't have a good answer for like what would have happened if if this had continued for, you know, more than the twenty minutes or so that it. And I'm not at all, but I I am viewing it in a way where I I if I saw it done in a different way, the way like I'm discussing, I think it just would have enhanced it even more so. And that's again, I can't. You'll see my rating at the end. So that's gonna sound really weird to you, but like, you know. But on that on that note, you were saying you'd rather it was like the ocean doing this, but don't you think that there's something important about like this solidifying like why the Avatar is such an important like role as Spirit Bridge? Oh, of course, and I think that's still the case. Um, but again, at the, the same time, I just wish there was a scene where Zhao was at the, the, the wall looking down at the water and watching his own ships getting destroyed by the ocean. Not by Aang, but by the ocean itself. And he's like, oh my god, what have I done? He never really had a what have I done moment. He, even when he was getting pulled into... I don't think he, I like that he didn't have a what have I done moment. I, I like that, that Zhao had a... He was trying to do something and he did it. And I, and I almost like that they don't need to be explicit of like Zhao going, oh, I realize the error of my ways. Like, I kind of no, like, like that Zhao yeah. does it and to some degree would look back and be like, I'd do it again. No, I, I, I'm not saying he should apologize for his actions. Like, what have I done? If I could go back in time, I never would have done this. But he, even when he was getting pulled into the water when um, um, Zuko tried to rescue him, he was just like, yeah. Like, again, you don't even see, you don't really see him at all until Korra after this, too. So, well, like... No, you literally don't see him again. So, like, it's not, like, as a viewer, you don't really get the satisfaction of seeing someone get, like, their full comeuppance. I just, I, what I like about Zhao is, to an extent, I don't think, I think Zhao getting his comeuppance would have lessened what I like about him as a character. I think it would have, it would have tried to, it would have made, it would have taken away that swagger that he has, that incredible, like, view of himself, where he's just, you can tell he, he thinks, in, you know, so hot. And I, and I think, and we'll, I don't know, I'll get to that when we get to the end. Um, 
I don't know. I but I I just I don't I don't I would not have I would not have liked the scene of Zhao looking over his burning ships as like what did I because we got we had that scene earlier in in um, Deserter, um, but that one was all about like Zhao's restraint. I kind of I kind of feel like I I like the idea of Zhao thinking about this and being like if only I had captured Ang earlier. The only thing that that you know Ang's the only thing that ruined my plans. Killing the moon was the right for Jow was the right choice. I like I like the idea that he thinks that. Fair enough. Um, Lynn, Julia, you guys have been quiet for a while. Anything you guys want to say on this? I don't know. Cool to watch the giant floating blob attack that stuff. Yeah, that. (laughs) Ten out of ten. Would recommend. Fair enough. I, I would have um, liked to on see. On that note, we, we shift over, and, and Charles mentioned it. I love the moment when Ang goes into the water, and I, I think that there's the scene of everything with the animation and um, where they're going with 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 Ang taking over and becoming this spirit just is incredible. It looked like the spirit looks so cool, um, the way it moves, um, and I also liked a little bit of a that moment when the, the water tribe bows down to the spirit and the fire nation is like still fighting um i thought that had an interesting like re- very like, obviously it is a religious moment but like a religious connotation to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so another thing that i also think is great is the fight between Zhao and zuko there um yeah i I've said on a number of occasions, I think that bending fights in like very close quarters are really good and seeing them fight like on that, um, I don't even know what to call it, but that, like raised platform um, mm-hmm. just led to some really cool things. And then in general, the um, using the uh, lighting because it's in black and white right now, but the, the fire breaking, breaking that and, and creating that amazing contrast, I thought looked really cool. Yeah, visually, besides, like, the fighting style, the, the sudden burst of color illuminating everything around it was really just, like, visually engaging and so interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, just watching, like, the fire, essentially. Like, just illuminate everything around it. It was, like, it's so cool. Yeah. All right, so, oh, no, go ahead, Charles, you something to say? Oh, uh, that was, um, not quite a great firebender, is he? Not really. Um, he had a long day. (laughs) I also like the fact that he makes the comment about, uh, admitting, basically, to have, you know, attempted assassination on Zuko, and... That he says, you know, you should have. Like the the banter they have going back and forth while this or just before this happens. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. We get we do get confirmation that uh, Zhao knew that Zuko was the blue spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how it helps to justify that he did attack a member of the royal family, that it was you know, a hundred percent that Zuko was a traitor and he, um, it was kind of okay that he did that. All right. So now we can talk about, uh, UA 
uh, you know, releasing her life into the moon spirit and becoming the moon, and in the end, kissing Sokka. That's <laughs> um, so, how do you guys feel about that? Oof, That's rough, buddy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it is in fact rough. The entire time I was watching it, I just kept thinking back to Zuka. That's, That's rough, funny. buddy. Were you, um, were you sad? Time. Were you sad that she didn't kiss him while she was still alive, and then did it after she died? Like, no, on, I really didn't care. I mean, artistically and, and visually, it was beautiful. But as like a dude, he's like, "Come on, man, we're not a real kid." I, I, I actually think the other side of it. He's the only person who can say he's made out with the moon. You can't make out with the you, you, that's literally he's literally probably kissing the air. So But the air is kissing him back. Still romance. <laughs> yes, there you go. We're we're probably like it's it's so pretty to look at and like everyone watching was like aww. But then like in real life Iro was definitely like aww. Yeah, of course. Iro. Iro is like totally like I should have. <laughs> um, but he's a but Sokka's a teenager with needs. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Not having understand Remember, he's not one for one. He's two for two. He is. No, is wow. he though? He is. But I, as as much fun as that is, let's I want to talk a little bit about Yue here, who's you know, the one who's becoming the moon spirit. Um, you know, the social justice warrior in me makes me want to, we have to, we gotta, we gotta talk about her here. So on, on UA's side, like UA sort of giving up her life. I think, I think it fits well with what they've established with her character about like duty being the number one thing that's driving her and her doing what's best for her people. I'm just curious how you feel about her choice to do this. Good for her. It, because honestly, the whole time she's going on and on about like, it's my duty to do this for my people, I have to get married, and this is like really her moment. Because yes, getting married is like a responsibility. Water bending art itself and like to save this, like save everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a really good moment. It shows, uh, I, I honestly think it shows like a more thoughtful, deeper side to her. Like yeah. that we've we've always kind of like saying like, okay, yeah, duty is a very responsibility for her, like very like important to her and like responsibility and all that fun stuff. But this like ultimately proves it. Like mm-hmm. Endgame, there's nothing more responsible than literally giving up your life because you know it's the right thing to do for everyone. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by social justice warrior? Like, um, I was just making a joke about it because like, like a, I, this is not even a question. This is like any living thing that has any sense of good in them would probably have made the same decision because you're not. No, 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 that has nothing to do with that. I was just, I was making a joke about how we were this this great moment for this you know this girl making a choice, and we spent the whole time discussing how she, whether or not she should have made out with Sokka as you know when she was still human. I was just making. Uh, Oh yeah, joke on that. You're right. Good anything job, to, UA. Anything to say? Any, anything anyone else wants to say on UA? Good job. I mean, this is like Lindsay said. This is just the ultimate. Um, go not, don't tell, or 
dude, don't speak. He's been saying the whole time that dude is important, but then also, like we talked about, been kind of um, flirtatious with our boy Sokka. So it's like, does she really take it seriously? Does she not? How is she balancing it? And at the end, at this moment, we see that. Yeah. She really does, yeah, hold her people, hold culture in far higher regard than her own personal needs in life. Yeah. And in the end, duty does come between her and Sokka, just not in the way they think. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes sense for UA to have made this. It does kind of bring up. Um, so we get the the ending of of Ang um, and the water spirit uh, just kind of destroying the Fire Nation, um, and I do like the the resonance of the the spirit or Ang or the spirit kind of looking up and seeing the moon and like realizing that the threat is over. Um, this, this power is essentially no longer needed and it kind of just retreating. Um, I think it's, I, I think it helps to, sh- to add more to the fact that this is not like this incredible power that Aang unlocks here is not something that is common. It's it, this was something extra because of um, the situation they were in. And once it's over this, you know, the ocean spirit is not going to continue to, to be that destructive. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mentioned it before, right? Um, that That is the consequence. We we don't see any sign of this thing stopping until the glance at the moon and that understanding. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Um, I would have fucked the Fire Nation over pretty decently had this actually kept, you know, been a sticking... I had the moon actually stayed dead. Yeah, if Aang had just kind of continued pushing the boats all the way back to the Fire Nation and swallowed everything. Yeah. Do you think that's enough of a, like consequences on what you were saying, Corey? What exactly? That uh, Moon Spirit, moon, I mean Ocean Spirit Aang would have literally just march the long walk to the Fire Nation? Yes. Alright, so, but... sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I want to, uh, unfortunately we're getting a little late, so Lindsay is going to have to head out, so I want to let Lindsay rate the episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I want you to give your rating on the episode, and just kind of give your final thoughts on the episode and the finale as a whole, and then we'll get back into the discussion. Okay, so sorry to interrupt you guys because i feel like i've done this before and i I really don't like to interrupt the discussion but um so overall this episode i think is just a really good conclusion to the first book it it action-packed is one is like amazing visually so good it it just it just does not disappoint me there and it gets us as we're as you guys are going to discuss later at the very end it's which it's it's and it's such a good way of introducing her like so subtly and then when you see her you're you can't help but wonder like wait is that that girl azula that Zuko was talking about and you see her and she's like such like a badass bitch 
and you're just like, oh shit, like, like it, it's just gonna get down. And it also totally preps us for not only having Katara be a master bender, which I think is amazing, but it also gets us ready to see um, Zuko and Iroh's new type of life that they're gonna have to live, like, on the run. Like, they no longer are in favor with the Fire Nation. So it shows them now having to deal with the repercussions of their actions. So it really, it's a good way to close out the first book and open up the new one. So this episode itself, I'm going to have to give it a 9.9. And overall, the whole finale, based off of just my whole positive feelings for both episodes and how well they correlate together, finishing off the first book, and again, the build up into the second one, I'm going to have to give the finale a 10. Okay. Great. So thanks, Lindsay, uh, for being here. Um, But we have quite a bit more to discuss, so we're going to get back into the uh, uh, get back into the episode discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. So happy talking, guys. uh, Bye. Bye. Um, So we have our our ending scene with Zuko and Zhao. And we touched on this in the beginning with uh, Zuko making the choice to sort of save Zhao, even though Zhao is very clearly trying to kill him here. And it, I think that's also very interesting that like Zhao opens this fight with, so you could have lived. And right away, um, you know, and in the end, Zuko is like willing to save him and, and Zhao can't accept it. So what do you guys think about Zuko's choice here? I think it's out of, I, I don't know. I want to say about a character for this version of Zuko, book one Zuko, but I think this, the last few episodes is where Zuko really starts making his transformation to what he was, to what he becomes. So maybe at, at this point, I can't really even say that anymore. I think this is pretty on the ball. And this actually, I think, is the final, I, 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 for lack of a better term, nail in the coffin for Zuko's complete shift over from like a, a somewhat of an antagonist to one of the main protagonists of the series. And I think this was like the final push that he took and shows that he's by, there's no question anymore that he's actually deep down a really good person. Mm-hmm. Charles. I mean, we've seen sparks that, uh, of Zuko being not quite as, you know, evil as, uh, he's, he was at the very beginning of the series. Or, sorry, not even, but like not, um, more moral. See during the storm, we see there's other episodes. There's I agree with Corey. This is like a really big mark towards that. It also helps that after this, they're on the run and, you know, they're no, no longer affiliated with the Fire Nation. <laughs> um, but I will say that I think start of series Zuko, Zuko, at the start of the series, let's say uh, before the episode where he and Zhao fight, probably would also have saved uh, Zhao in this situation. Just, mm-hmm. you know, um, Say that again, we, sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Uh, I think Zuko, from episode one to two, uh, would have saved Zhao in this situation. Um, mm-hmm. Just because... Loyalty, 
early Zuko's loyalty to the Fire Nation is unquestionable, right? Yeah. So, given that, I, I think he would have saved Zhao anyway. He's not, like, the type to, uh... I don't know, just, yeah, I I think, uh, I, I agree with Corey that this for sure marks, like, his the his turning point as a character, but I also think that the um, start of series Zuko would also have done the same thing, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia? Yeah, so what this always reminds me of is there's a scene at the end of Lion King 2, of all things, where the protagonist, who's Simba's daughter, is reaching out to the villain who's about to fall, and the villain refuses to take uh, the protagonist's hand and basically commits suicide and jumps off into, like, the cliff below. And I think it's interesting that they have that here, not that they necessarily were trying to parallel that scene, but they have Zuko, who for the rest of the the whole show has been a villain that they have him in that kind of hero uh, archetype in that position. And that really does show that shift uh, quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's interesting though is, and I definitely agree with, with everything you guys have said, but I think it's also interesting to look at it from the other side where this is kind of the last moment of Zuko being um, like the true loyal Fire, like member of the Fire Nation, where, I mean, obviously, and obviously we do get a little bit more of it because he, he does go back for a moment in, um, at, you know, at the end of book two. But you could almost also look at this as like, this is the last bit where, where Zuko is, yes, they're fighting, but he's saying like, this is still like an important member of the Fire Nation. And like, I'm still, in the end, I want to be Fire Lord. And I kind of, I, I, I want to, um, like instill that in, in my subjects to an extent. And I think it's also interesting to look at it as like the last moment of Zuko, like being truly loyal to the fire nation. And in the end, like after, like after this, and then after um, the first episode of book, um, book two, when he's completely on the run, it like changes everything. Like it really just changed everything about. I'm just cu- like curious what you guys think about looking at it from that perspective. Or not. <laughs> Sorry, just thinking. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, I, I know it's a kind of complicated thought. Oh, I'll I'll mean, you guys... no, no, no. Hang on, hang on. He, he goes. He. We know that Zuko um, is. You can say it's like his last act as uh, loyal. Fire Nation, um, person, culture, but, um, no, he does, no, uh, like, we don't see it for a while, but we know he does still, like, care a lot for the Fire like, it's still very important to him, more specifically, the approval of his father (laughs) is very important to him. It's why he basically jumps at the opportunities that were offered him. Um, in I, I'm pretty sure this one is in Bossing Say, right? Yeah. Where? Yeah. So, and then he goes back to be, you know, basically honored 
Yeah. He changes, but parts of his character are still, you know, still persist from before this to after. Mm-hmm. Like the, he will sacrifice things to get. Uh, sorry, rambling because uh, I didn't think this through. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah. I I, I I I lean more towards what you guys are saying. I just kind of it's a thought I had. I was just curious how you thought about it. Um. All right. So the episode wrap uh, wraps up with the um sort of final two moments where we have the sorrow of um Yue's father after you know now that she's um you know now that he knows that he. Sh- He's gone. Um, and I think that even though it's a like small um, part of it and we only talk about one person, it, it does add a little bit of like to show the, the consequences of all this, that, that there was someone lost. Um, I, I, I do kind of wish there was a little bit more talk about the actual casualties because um, I think it's pretty clear that a, a fair number of you know members of the Water Tribe are probably dead. But at least there's some mention of the fact that this is is a victory but one that had serious consequences yeah especially for a kids show that's really important a lot of times we see um, what amounts to essentially total victory right you beat the bad guys everybody's saved the world is fine um but yeah, in Avatar, they like every uh, every major conflict. There's always real consequences. Mm-hmm. They have Black Sun. Like half the invasion force gets captured. Um, they're fighting impossible faith. So, yeah, I I agree. It's really really nice. Um, mm-hmm. You guys, anything about the the final moment with Yue's father? No, it was. I thought it was a pretty. I'm not saying. I'm not going to say the word rush, but it was a pretty like quick, like one, two, three wrap up for something because something major. You know, we just had dealt with some heavy issues and heavy things, and I think it's just you know it's one of those last deep breaths to take once everything you know unfolds and it's just you know it's a. It's a way to wrap up the episode. I, I kind of disagree where you, you still kind of see the consequences of everything we just saw. I think it was more so just a, a wrap-up of the episode. Yeah, I have to agree there. No, go ahead, Julia. Oh, no, no, just saying, just basically that. Um, so we get the final the final scene now with Zuko, uh, with Zuko on the raft with Iroh, and I, I actually really love the writing in this moment um, where Iroh is kind of, I think kind of feeling out where Zuko is mentally right now and just having kind of Zuko just being like, I'm tired. Um, like it's not out of character. It's like, when I say out of character, I don't think like that's not a criticism. Like though this feels bad, but I mean like it's out of character with what we normally see from Zuko and showing the, like the level of change and the impact that this has had on him.
then we get our actual, or no, there's two more. So the second last scene is Katara and Aang embracing, um, and eventually Momo and Sokka joining. Um, for me, I, I love this. I think it was um, a really like nice moment between the two of them. And I think that um, even though, I mean, it's, it's not really all that romantic, um, but it is, it just kind of shows uh, for me the, less from a romantic perspective, but more in general, that Katara and Aang have a, like, have a slightly deeper relationship at this point than Aang um, does with anybody else, that, that I think that I could say that Katara is the most important person uh, in Aang's life right now. Um, I say person because, you know, there are animals that are in different perspectives. Um, but I, I do think that it is clear that, that Katara is the most important person in Aang's life, and as he, she is now taking over as his waterbending teacher and all of that, it, it the the way that that hug was constructed, I, I think, just added to it and showed why, like how, or not showed why, but showed that these two are how important they are to each other. I I think there was never a time in the series since this first scene of Avatar: The Last Airbender where uh, Katara was not the most important thing that Aang wants to be gotten frozen. In the iceberg, I think that was always a constant. Yeah, I agree. I just, this is just showing. I think it was just another reinforcing thing. Mm-hmm. And then the actual final scene with the first were you know words uttered. I guess really. Wait, hang on. Yeah. I, I will, in honor of Lindsay, say that no, this is just a thing that friends do for each other. <laughs> I even said that. I even said I don't even think it's that romantic. I just think this is showing that they're the most important people in each other's lives. But you neglected to mention Sokka. Yeah. I did. I, I deliberately neglected to mention Sokka, actually. I think, I think Katara and um, Zuko had a more romantic scene earlier on. In what possible <laughs> world do you think that that's she, true? She says to him it will be a no contest when they're about to fight. And I think that means that she doesn't want to fight him. That she the loves exact him. line is, it's not going to be much of a match. And then she kicks his ass. Yeah, but it was like, you know, like uh, someone that, like, you remember like how in Hey Arnold, Helga, like, you know, picked on Arnold, even though she secretly loved him. <laughs> Which is so unrealistic and not, I hate it. And no. Same, same. What are you talking about? That's 100% how people act. Belligerent sexual tension is stupid. Totes kawaii ne. Are we friends with the same person? The same Asian person? Alright, that's not being discussed at all right now. No. <laughs> absolutely not. You're gonna tell me that's not a real I, thing? No, I'm cutting this discussion off. We're moving on. Yes, I'm good Um, Azula. Azula. Um, I, I... God, that's a way to end. Like, I love Azula. See, we all do, but yeah. So, Julia, go ahead. Talk about his movie. Yeah, no, I love that you get that first glimpse. And, I I mean, when you're watching this for the first time live, you think of Zhang as being this really scary, badass villain. And then Azula gets brought in, and the stakes just go way up. Like, everything changes. And uh, just to see the dynamic... Uh, because you get the little hint of it before with Zuko's rambling to unconscious Aang about how his sister, his sister, and then you get to see that 
And even though it's just the most brief scene, it's really a perfect cliffhanger. And they really, it's the best way that they could have ended that season. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Corey, how do you feel about Azula? I love Azula. I love her so, so much. And I I think her voice actress has a lot to do with it because she is phenomenal. I love the, the, the smirk she gives at the end when she's bowing down to her father. I think that entire three-second scene with her not saying a word says everything you need to know about her, that she is, like, fiercely loyal to, you know, her father, but at the same time, she's heavily statistic. It was such a statistic smirk. And then you also get that little throwaway scene. You stayed at being sadistic? What did I say? Statistic. No, I didn't. I said it's talk very quickly, so it sounded like I said it. I was very confused for a minute. I was like, what's a statistical smirk? So, like, and then you also got throw a throwback to, like, when Zuko was talking to Aang when he was unconscious. Like, oh, she was always a prodigy. So you already know what a bender she is. You Then you could tell, you could literally tell everything about what Azula is about to be by what Zuko said earlier on and then the final scene. And she is one of my favorite villains of all time in Avatar. Like, definitely in my top three. Mm-hmm. Charles. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know the only opportunity the show set up for people talking about her was really in this episode. Outside of that, there's not really a scenario where that would have made too much sense from the prior episodes. But, um, that aside, I do really like how, yeah, at the end, it's like, all we've seen all the consequences, invasion, Zhao is presumably dead, water tribes in ruins, Iroh and Zuko are basically refugees on like a raft, and then it's like this badass OSI still framed by the fuck. It, it's just yeah, and I agree. the confidence you see in her face when like he puts down, uh, you know, puts down when OSI puts down Iroh and Zuko, and it's like I'm gonna trust this to you. Is the both the perfect confidence of like pride and arrogance, which are distinct. Um, it's great. Yeah, I also think another thing that makes it great is that specifically Azula's task at this moment is going after Iroh and Zuka. And the entirety of that final scene is about the fallout of Iroh um, being a traitor and Zuko being a failure. And I think that that's also really interesting because it kind of can be a little bit lost on like us rewatching it because eventually like Azula becomes a major you know, starts going after Aang and, and becomes a major antagonist on that front. But it's it's kind of interesting that the book ends with, like, a new antagonist being introduced specifically about Zuko and Ira and not having anything to do with Aang. And I think that that's really interesting. And also speaks a lot to the Fire Nation and the way the Fire Lord thinks that having this disgrace to him, his brother who's now a traitor and his son who has failed him is something he needs to deal with because if he doesn't take care of um, to take care of that, it's going to bring shame upon the royal family. That's the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Really 
find is really important to end in a you know, totalitarian society and really have or leave any questions to your rule open. Yeah. All right, so that'll bring an end to the Siege of the North Part 2. So I want to go around. We'll give our ratings for specifically the Siege of the North Part 2, and then we will get into our finale as a whole discussion. Um, so let's just start things off. Corey, what is your rating for Siege of the North Part 2? Definitely one of my favorite episodes of Book 1, if not probably my second favorite of overall, because my first favorite was my first 10, which I gave um, a lot earlier on. Um, this episode does everything right artistically it's phenomenal like uh, like you you like you knew you were in for a tree and that pulled it up everything turned red and then once everything once it died everything turned black and white and i love the contrast with everything that still had you know the spirit connected to it had the shape color of blue so i thought that was very well done i love the face of the spirit i love the spirit world i i loved everything in this episode and even when you you guys heard my minor complaints about just the whole nature that the moon and the ocean are physical spirits that don't actually really exist. I don't care. It's in a fantasy universe. And I accept the laws and all of that. Therefore that go with it. Even my complaint about they're not, you're not seeing the real consequence. I overlook, I, I don't really, it doesn't bother me at all. It's just, again, I'm trying to look at it in a different light. This is everything right about an episode. And I, I, would probably have to say that this is a 10 out of 10. Okay. Charles? Um, generally, I agree. Like, this episode's amazing. It picks up really well from where the last one was. Remember, this was aired uh, originally as separate episodes. It wasn't conjoined, like... I Star think it was aired, actually, together, but I'm not... Was it really? I think they were back-to-back. Back. Yeah, I think that they were aired back. I could look it up. I feel like I saw one and then one a week after. Or maybe I was watching it as uh, not during the original run, but a rerun. Possible. I, no. Uh, no, they were both aired on December 2nd, 2005. Alright. Scratch that. <laughs> but still, um, it makes sure to over all of the stuff that happened from the first episode. It does toning and theming well. It's artistically fantastic. It talks about the colors of the red moon and then the lack of light, black and white that the world gets plunged into. The treatment of basically what is a eulogy to Zhao. I mean, we, we talked about how we would have prefer things to happen. Um, I I still agree with Corey in that I would have liked a little bit more on the Muppins, but that doesn't really take away much from the episode, if any. Uh, overall, I think I'd give this part of the finale a 9.9. Okay. Um, yeah, I say that be just because there is later episode there's a later thing that I will rate at 10. And, well, we'll talk about finale yeah. as a whole, I guess. Okay. Uh, Julia. Yeah, um, I don't know. There's really nothing negative to say about this. Everything from the animation to the writing to 
how they develop the characters is pretty much just amazing. Like, 10 out of 10 easily, one of the best episodes of Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, I echo that. I think that this is a 10 out of 10. I think this is the best episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, is this the best episode of the entire franchise? That I need more thought on. Episode of Korra that I think is on the same level um, and might be better, but I have to really think about it. Um, to me, this is one of the best episodes of television I have ever seen. Um, I And I, I don't say that lightly. There are very few episodes that I think are actually bona fide tens. I think this is, I think Korra alone is, and I think that there are two episodes in Game of Thrones, um, Hard Home and... Um, uh, watchers on the wall that I think are on that level. And that might be it. I mean, there might, I mean, obviously I haven't seen all of television. There are many great series. I haven't. Um, so if there's, you know, an episode that you love, I may not have seen it, but for me having watched, you know, shows like the West wing or Gilmore girls, or, um, you know, I talked about Game of Thrones that all have some really phenomenal episodes. And you, if you've heard, if you've paid attention, you can tell that Corey and I, talk a lot about the Arrowverse on the CW. Um, in all of that, I think that I've come across four episodes that I think are truly 10 out of 10. And I, this this episode, Season of the North Part 2, is one of them and might even be higher than that as the best. I, I think it is is genuinely the best in a conversation together. Um, it would take a little bit more thought to actually put them together and figure out which one is truly the best because they're all, they all some of them all do different things, but I I do not back down. This is this is the pinnacle of television, and, and this is why. I mean, one of the many reasons for a show to have an episode that is considered a ten, that means that a show is incredible. And right here, you can see that. So now we're going to turn and look at the the big picture of the finale, um, and then talk about rating the finale itself. Um, and I, I think that, like, right off the bat, I've, I've talked about this at length throughout these two episodes, but I want to hit on it again because it's just so important, um, is the fact that they were able to set up a really con- like cohesive and great story for Aang here, where in order for Aang to, to win this battle, he needs to go into the spirit world, face the spirit co, get it, and then come back, and in the end, it allows him to be granted power is just an an absolute crowning achievement because I genuinely um, find, take issue with the finale um, because the finale of Avatar as a whole, because I think that I find the, the scene with the lion turtles very upsetting because of its deus ex machina quality, where it's just like this thing that happens in the end and doesn't really do anything to get this power. And for me, this quest of Aang being told, you know, told by Yue or, and Katara, they have this conversation about going into the spirit world, and Aang does it and comes out of it. And, and, and that's why he's able to grant this power, is just, it, it is, is the way to tell storytelling, and it's the way to justify your big thing. How do you guys feel about that? Wait, yeah. so is this why you don't like the spirit turtles? Not the only reason. There's a lot of reasons I don't like the Spirit Turtles, but this is one of them. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think this is a prime example of your... Well, here's the thing, though. Like, him going into the Spirit World, 
he really just found out what Admiral Zhao found out. I don't think it gave him the power to do anything. I think it's just knowledge. Well, not the power, but the knowledge in order to be able to do this. Like, if he didn't know, he wouldn't have gone to the Spirit Oasis. Oh, no, yeah, no, 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 of course. But I, I, I think he didn't, he didn't go in and then come out more powerful, like, actually. It's just a matter of him being able to put the pieces together of where things are. And again, that's not... I just think you're overstating how important it was that he was able to go talk to the face of spirit and leave versus him going in and then coming out with like a new person. As I, I would see in like another thing, like I'll give an example, like star Wars and in, in, in the fifth movie where Luke goes into the, the cave of Yoda or you're not even just forget the cave, just goes with Dagobah as a whole and leaves more powerful than when he went. I think it's a completely different side of the coin. Yes, and I understand what you're saying, but what, what, I, what I mean by this is, let's say you cut out the spirit world part of the finale. Let's say you just you remove that. Everything else remains the same. Aang is on the front lines, and then they hear, the moon has been destroyed, Aang runs back, and then everything happens the same way. I would look at this giant spirit that came out with Aang as this big, very convenient deus ex machina where, oh... We have this giant set piece to end an episode where Aang get harnesses this massive amount of power because he can, and it all just kind of happens. And that's similar to what happens in the finale of Avatar, where Aang needs this new power of taking away someone's bending, and it's just gifted to him. He runs, the lion turtle just happens to show up and says, here you go, give it to him, he wins the day. And what I'm saying is what this is, is instead, in order for Aang to be in the position to use his power, sure, he could have theoretically done it without that. In order to be in the position he's in, in order to save the day, Aang had to go in and go through an arduous test in the spirit world. His encounter with Ko was a difficult challenge that he had to, to accomplish. And that is what allowed him to harness this power. And that's what I'm saying, that when you're, when you're, Having good writing, if you want to have, because a lot of finales like to end on some giant battle, some giant crazy set piece, because it's cool, it looks great. And often I find that they don't put in the legwork to justify why our heroes suddenly harness this great power that they never had before. And it's like, oh, congratulations they unlock like very often in video games you'll see like at the last level you'll harness this crazy new power that you've never talked about just because it's a fun set piece to have at the end and that works in certain contexts because they're not going for an unbelievably well-written story but for me that is bad writing this is good writing and i think the star wars example is an example of good writing where luke has to go on this go through this quest in order to become more powerful in the force. I agree, I agree, but disagree. I see your point, and it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me, but Aang, the spirit itself to Aang still felt like a deus ex machina moment to me because, again, him going to spirit world doesn't really affect it as much. It's just a matter of him being there, and if you avoid that all of that entirely, and he even after... Zhao kills the spirit, and Aang say he makes it there anyway, or at least in a general location, I think you still could have gotten to that part. And you're right, it wouldn't have felt as satisfying, 
to the viewer, but at the same time, you're you're still in a position though where like him going there was just for information, and that's that. Yes, but I guess my point is that that satisfaction that if if without that you wouldn't have had the satisfaction that Aang accomplished something. Instead, it would have just felt like well, they won the day because they were always going to win the day because in the end, Aang was always going to harness this power and come at it. Instead, it feels, it adds the layer where it feels like Aang actually did something and not, oh, he was just the most powerful being in the universe, therefore he won. That's kind of what it felt like to me watching it, even though it's definitely more authentic than the Lion Turtle, but it still does have that Aang went into the Avatar state and had it not been for the Avatar state, which was already an intrinsic part of him, it, it wouldn't have went down the way it did. They wouldn't have won. Yeah, it's true. But to me, the fact that they wouldn't have been in the position, because they're not. it's not like they were at the Spirit Oasis when Zhao attacks. They actually had to fly back to it. Like, if... Every like if without the information, like would Ang have been able to find the fish? I mean, I feel like he would have. That's part of being the avatars. He had that connection to the spirit world, so they could have maybe made that work. Hmm. I mean, thinking about it now, go ahead, Charles. If you want to take the argument to logical extremes, even without the fish, wouldn't the avatar state have been enough? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say no because I it, it feels special. This level of power does feel special. Does it? We know he's more... Po- okay, well... Spoilers, but not really. We know he's more powerful at the end. Easily. My, my point, though, is... Um, but point- it's not about power, right? It's about satisfaction of... Uh, the viewer watching it, like, oh, he did something to get this. Sure. But we've already established his deus ex machina powers. Like, literally, it showed up twice in the first... three times. Twice. In the first two episodes. First three episodes. Um, Katar even makes a comment, I think, on in episode three. He's gonna destroy the mountain. Um, I think it's the. I think Sokka says he's going to blow us off this cliff. I, I don't remember the exact words. Remember, but have a yeah, it's when he it's, it's when he sees Yatsu and it's like. Yeah, no, I know, I know, it's what senior talking about. I, I think yeah. I'm pretty sure Sokka's line is like, "We better do something, or he's going to blow us off this cliff." Okay, well, you know, so like it wouldn't have been as good. No, I agree. I, I like the quest, but I also. Um, We'll say that, yeah, it definitely has Deus Ex Machina properties to it. Hmm. More satisfying, but critically, it's still like a little bit not so, because as Corey said, uh, the action did not lead directly to uh, the consequence. It was just kind of random. Hmm. I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm more, I lean more on the other side of that, that I think that like for me, I think it's they do a good enough job, but I can see I can see what you guys are saying. I don't, and obviously it's all you know a matter of opinion there. But um, I, mean, I I also like longer setups for this kind of things. It's why I 
don't have an issue. Okay, well, first, I I love the idea of the lion turtles existing. <laughs> oh, no, my problem is not that they exist. I, they're cool animals. Um, I also like that. I also like how they're used for one, but it's like way in the future and we may or may not talk about that. We will, but in the future. It, it may be years. We, we may not be. We're done with book one, man. Like, we're moving along. You're right. There's there's only, like, many more episodes. There's only 42 episodes left. For Avatar. And, and then we have Korra. Well, to get just to get to one is not that many, because it's only four, 13 plus 7, 10, or uh, 20. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. So sixty. That's about a year. So okay, but, but anyway, um, so the reason I didn't have an issue with the lion turtle for Aang in Avatar was that they've established that they've been looking for a non-lethal way to deal with Ozai for a really long time, like a really, I, really long time. I I don't want to have that argument because we I I could get on that that argument for way too long. All right, all right, and we will have so we will have that argument. Just, just not right now. Okay. Um. All right. So those were mine. So, do you guys have any thoughts on the finale as a whole? Uh, like looking at it. So I guess I'll just throw it around, uh, Charles. Do you have any like thing you want to talk about? Um. I mean, I I just mentioned it a little. Set up and resolved a lot of points really quickly because of the, uh, the like the strength of the like it, had I read the script like without any of the animation I feel like I would have thought it was rushed mm-hmm. but because of like the quality of the voice acting and like how well they did animation with also adding in visual setup. It felt like everything was, you know, appropriately like into that or, you know, done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. That's fantastic. Like if you told me I'm going to set up this like giant conflict and resolve it in an hour and a half, I'm like, I mean, in an hour, actually not even an hour, in 40, 40- minutes <laughs> yeah Dude, that's that's like uh um outside of that just it, it's it, it's also great that they continue to world build even while uh you know including the book like ending a arc mm-hmm. uh, i think that's fantastic yeah all right uh julia anything you want to talk about finale as a whole well uh what you were saying about uh, world building, uh, George Lucas could take some notes on how to do that right from uh, <laughs> from Avatar, but I, you're definitely right about how they integrate it well into the plot without it bogging down the storyline, um, not to call out Phantom Menace or anything, but um, yeah, it, the finale was just really a fantastic way of wrapping it up, and it, it really was... All every single character, it felt really at the end of that. You felt like there was a completion to the arc that they had established pretty much from the introduction, or if not complete, like you knew it was 
wrapped up to a point and would be continued in the next season, but everything felt, like, very, uh, well, like, it was addressed. Nothing felt really all that rushed. Even if it was addressed quickly, it didn't feel rushed, and I think it was really just a fantastic job all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think all of that is, is a big part of why this is so great. Uh, Corey, anything you want to talk about the finale as a whole? It's probably the best, uh, at least cartoon finale I've ever seen. Um, I think that's pretty easy for me to say, actually. I, 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 I don't can't think of another cartoon that wrapped up, a se- especially season one, so well, where it, it, it world-builded, as you guys all said, and then at the end, like, you, you, are, you set up everything you need to know about season two. Now you know that Iroh and Zuko are are completely exiled from the Fire Nation and are being hunted. You, you already established your new villain. You now establish, you already know from just how the series, as this, the season went, what Aang still needs to do and train in the other elements. So as the viewer, you, you, you leave this episode satisfied with how what you just saw wrapped up in a nice neat bow and you want more. And that, what else can you ask for a, a finale, especially in season one to do? Like, it's just, it's miraculous how they, they hit every point they were supposed to hit right. And if you were to ask me for like a joint rating, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone to say that both episodes combined. Well, we are, we're going to do joint ratings in a minute. Um, well, I'll say my um, Yeah, I, I'm curious the thing to think about, like, is this the best, like, in terms of the finale uh, across the whole franchise? I think this is the best finale in Last Airbender. I think this is definitely better like a significant step better than the actual finale of the show um and while i like guru and crossroads a lot i think that the two, those two episodes are not as great as a cohesive whole um and there are some tonal issues that i have with those episodes is this better than um enter the void and venom and then uh day of the colossus and last stand that's where it gets a little bit more complicated and i think that I'm going to need a little bit more look at, like I need to look at those episodes again critically before I can rate, is this the best finale of the franchise? But I will say, I think this is definitely um, the finale as a whole is, is truly phenomenal. Um, I just gave one of the episodes a 10. I gave the upper other episode, you know, a nine, eight. That's about as good as you can get for a episode run. Um, so on that note, we're going to go over and we will rate the finale as a whole. And what I want to talk about, like when we're rating the finale as a whole, um, the important thing to note is we're, we're talking about the finale as a cohesive unit here. And let, even if your average rating between these two episodes is different, you can give the finale whatever you want. Um, so even though maybe you think these two episodes are better than the sum of their parts, maybe you think these two episodes are uh, the same or worse. Um, and that's what will be a preview for what we're going to talk about next week. Um, so I'll go around. Um, Julia, I know you did not, you were not here for part one, so you didn't give us a rating for, um, the first part, but that's fine. You can just give us your rating for the finale as a whole, once again, out of 10. Um, and we're still kind of using the same rating scale. Uh, these ratings are going to be a little less important because they're not going to go into our final, uh, tally, but still, I just want to see what you guys think. So finale as a whole, Julia, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say 10 out of 10. Um, I, I didn't get to touch on what I liked about part one, but, what you were uh, kind of talking about, how they really do work well 
cohesively, the two of them feel naturally like a two-parter versus Guru and Crossroads, which as individual episodes are great, but don't uh, feel all that natural together. They uh, are, both have very different tones. So I think they work well, they flow into each other, and they are, yeah, probably the definitely the best finale of uh, the series, if not the franchise. Mm-hmm. Charles? Yeah. Um, for me, it, this is obviously a sum is better than the parts. A lot of the things that I brought up in nitpicking, like with Mr. Jerk, with Sokka and Barracks, um, with little stuff about uh, Yue in part, in the first part, like, they when you put the two together, a, a lot of those just kind of wash out, right? Like, you, they don't even matter, or they basically resolve themselves. Uh, our criticisms of Yue from the first part of the finale are are actually made into positives in some way by how her storyline ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she really does show that duty is a core part like, that is the most important. Her people are the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Sokka does... You don't see that much of him in this episode, but the fact that he is more serious, it's not like... You know, he stayed immature, like, in the barracks. And the fact that he's not seen that much in the second half of it also contributes to, like, basically ignoring that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the... Now he's an easy 10 out of 10. It's great. Yeah, definitely together. Uh, one of the best things I've ever seen in television. Okay. Uh, Corey, I know you gave a preview, but is there anything else you would like to say? No. I, again, as I said, what else can you ask for in a finale? Like, literally, what else? You Again, and, and I wanted to stress the one last part, because I, I said a lot already, like, the one last part I want to stress is this is the season one finale where I would argue it's the most important time that you want to hook viewers into the rest of your show. And we're already talking about like, this might be the greatest episode of Avatar period. And that's the finale of your season one. That's going to bring viewers back to season two. And then that's the most important thing you need to do in a show. So like, it's as just a finale, forget about it being at last airbender, or the quality of it. It's just, it did what exactly what it needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, totally agree with everything everyone said. Um, and, and I would like to say, I don't think, um, it, I think what Corey said is true, that the, like, pu- putting this as your book one finale um, to hook people into the, to what's coming next is, you know, really great. And this this is something that this episode really leaves you wanting more, and you're, you're just so pumped for what is coming next episode. Um, I think that this is, uh, I said before, I think this is the best finale of, um, the series, so I think this is this is clearly a 10 out of 10 for the finale as a whole. So that is going to end our discussion here of the book one finale, but it does not end our discussion of book one. Um, next week, we are going to talk about the overall impact of book one and where we go from here going into book two um we'll also touch on something that charles actually i think brought up a couple of times in this episode um when talking about would you have wanted is there some things that you would have wanted not as rushed and how that could have been accomplished um so tune in for that um after that we'll be chuggling right along into 
book two uh, with the Avatar State being the first episode uh, of that. Um, it is through an entire book. Appreciate um, that you guys have um, been here and I think we've had a lot of fun. Um, for this episode, I want to thank Julia for coming on. Um, definitely appreciate that. I thought you had some really interesting points. Um, and I look forward to having you back on the show uh, sometime soon. Um, so with that, we're going to wrap this up. Anything else anyone wants to say? Thank you for having me. Oh, totally. I'm very, I'm very glad you were here. But I really did thank you. Brought up some, some very interesting things. All right, so that'll wrap us up. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at blue underscore pod. Uh, you can get us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Uh, there might be some other places you can find us. Um, but anywhere, essentially anywhere you're, uh, you find our podcasts, um, as per always, you can ask us questions in on iTunes comments or on SoundCloud, um, or you can even comment on my Facebook post if you find this via my Facebook posts. Um, that is fine. Um, Sky Bison Polo, we need to make this a thing. Um, but we'll be continuing. We're ho- I'm hoping to have some surprises as we go into book two, uh, but those I'm keeping secret. We will talk about those when they become relevant. So once again, this is it. So thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. And we're up. Two hours.